0: This is The Crucible,
1: the JRTC experience. Jump down. Jump down. To
2: hey, to my
0: position, over. Oh.
1: This is where we discuss warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi, I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group here at uh, JRTC. Uh, thanks for joining us for another, another episode of The Crucible, uh, the JRTC experience. And uh, this is an awesome day because I'm a bit of a fanboy. Uh, we've got Breeder, Breeder General Retired uh, John Lair uh, here to join us. Uh, Not only is he uh, a former commander of operations group, but he is also Coach Lair, uh, the uh, director here uh, for the uh, leader uh, training program at JRTC. Uh, Sir, can you tell us a little bit about you and your background?
0: Yeah, um, I thought about that today, about where I am in my life. I have uh, touched five decades uh, with either in uniform or out of uniform. I enlisted in the Army in the late 70s. I transitioned to being an officer in the early 80s. I retired in 2015. uh, And then I joined Mission Command Training Program as a senior mentor. And then uh, four years ago, came over here and became the chief of LTP. Uh, I was an infantry officer by trade, Um, obviously commanded at every level up to uh, the JTF level. Uh, Battalion Command, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, brigade command of a of a striker brigade at Fort Lewis, Washington.
1: Which striker brigade did you command, sir?
0: Well, it, this is a, a, a tale in and of itself. I started off as the two ACR commander, 73rd Colonel of the Regiment. I came down here to Fort Polk. The leadership of this new brigade uh, gathered up the colors and took it up to Fort Lewis. We became two SCR for about 16 months. And then the Army started shifting flags around, and uh, the 2ACR, 2SCR colors went to
1: Germany, and I became uh, 4th Striker Brigade of 2nd Infantry Division. Awesome, sir. So I I started out up at uh, JBLM in uh, 1st Battalion, 23rd Infantry (laughs) that went from Mech uh, and became uh, a Striker Brigade. And so, okay, that's, uh, and I know some folks have probably uh, cycled through there with you at that time. And then when were you the Commander of Operations Group, sir? 2008 to 2010. So a pretty impactful time in our
0: Army. Yeah, um, a different time. And I was also thinking about that and what you're facing right now with LISCO. Um, I was deeply involved in mission readiness rehearsals or rehearsal exercises, MREs, um, but was able to, with the staff, plan one of the first, I don't know if I want to call it a LISCO, but... It's sort of what it was, um, which took place at the end of 2010, 2011, the Panther Brigade of the 82nd. But uh, back when I was here, it was
1: deeply involved in COIN. Yes, sir. And uh, those some folks that came through those rotations during your period, sir. So, um, you know, up up front, sir, uh, what do you think has changed? You're you're back here uh, a couple uh, times in your career, been to Fort Polk. Uh, and then you're back here as the chief for uh, LTP. And what have you observed that's changed with brigades in your time here at, at LTP or or outside observer uh, looking at JRTC, sir?
0: Well, the first thing I'll say, because I am a glass half full type of guy, and I say this every day one welcome brief to the, the rotations that come through the brigade combat teams. I'll go back to that. Entered the Army in the 70s and we're at 2022. Um I think the Army is as strong talent-wise as I've ever seen it. Um, I make the comment that us old guys back in the day, in the 80s and the 90s, thought we knew how to fight Lisko. Um, And we did certain things very, very well. But what I see out of the units right now, and it may be actually a muscle translation, to use a physical fitness term, of the 18 to 20 years that we've been at war, the ability to execute mission command is far better, far superior than anything I ever saw. We were, we were at the rudimentary level back then in being able to do certain things. Um, the talent these kids come with, the units come with, is incredible in my book. Um, now, with that said, um, we are transitioning, as you and I talked earlier, yes, into um, the LISCO fight. And just in the six years that I've worn polo shirts, uh, I've noticed a change, a positive change in the Army of us being able to, we're getting better in in, uh, in executing the LISCO fight. LTP, as you know, um, focuses on the planning portion, primarily of plan, prepare, execute the operations process. Um, General Gardner and I were talking a couple days ago, we believe just in the last four or five years, what we're seeing in the unit's ability to plan in enough detail to be successful in the LISCO environment by warfighting function is improving. We're not there. We're not there by any stretch of the imagination, but we're getting better some of the things I'm seeing, um, and it could be because we're starting to adapt our coaching techniques to what's really happening out in the box and what, what units are suffering with out there or what what they're stumbling over out there. It, if I could say two, two broad trends from an LTP perspective, not execution perspective, but planning, um, we're still not quite there in getting to adequate detail. And that's both when we give them a lot of time in a deliberate sense like an ISB, cold start type thing, ISB, or a transition period where we may have adequate time to do deliberate planning. But it also carries over into time pressurized or time compressed planning. I'm sure you see that out in the box. Broad, in a broad sense, we're still struggling with that, and there's reasons why, and we can talk about that later if you choose to. Uh, the second thing, and it, I don't know which came first. It's an egg or a chicken discussion. Um, we struggle with time, Util- effective utilization of time. And there's a lot of reasons. The number one is having someone and enforces it and being comfortable operating at the 70% solution versus the 100% solution knowing what's important and focusing on that in planning. That's the the first uh, way that we get around that. But it comes down to familiarity with SOPs. Are we familiar? Do we have an SOP, number one? And are we familiar with it? And do we use it? Um, The use of fighting products and building these bridges, if you will, between steps of the MDMP Using fighting products, I used to hear the term, try to drive your planning preparation down to zero as much as possible. And the way to do that is understanding what your fighting products are and continue to build and refine them throughout the the MDMP. So uh, general trends, I think the Army is strong, uh, Talent, lots of talent. We're rebluing ourselves on large-scale combat operations. The two biggest trends I see, time management, utilization of time is not real good. And uh, we're still uh, struggling with getting to adequate detail to be successful in that environment by warfighting function.
1: Yes, sir. So uh, up front, what I took away from that is I'm young and I'm a kid and I appreciate that. I appreciate you you referring to my generation as kids. And it's awesome to be referred to as a kid. And I'm like, I'm with you. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, especially as I look at, you know, I've got, I, I've seen majors now that I had as cadets uh, at West Point uh, when I was teaching there. When I was a major, they were cadets. And, uh, you know, the kids are all right. I mean, we've got great, great young people, um, whether, you know, on the enlisted side or the officer side uh, that are incredibly talented, incredibly creative, um, and really driven to, to do just as well as we wanted to do, uh, coming up in those positions. But I'm sure you look at me and like, uh, I'm also young. Uh, so I appreciate being called young. Um, but you look young. And so for everybody watching, this is what you want to aspire to look like when you retired an awesome well-trimmed beard and super in shape. He still looks like, uh, he could could (laughs) take somebody down in the, in the, uh, the, uh, the alley, uh, behind the bar. Uh, so, you know, we can probably do another episode on what your fitness regimen is, uh, going forward. Um, you know, Sir Rick, a lot of great stuff in there. And, and one of the things up front is that I hadn't thought about until you, you framed it is, you know, being comfortable with the 70% solution. And there's a paradox with that, or there could be perceived a paradox between that. And hey, we have to get to more detail and um but I think the you know the the really important kind of follow up that you had there was focused on the right things, and so um if we could unpack a little bit of yeah. uh you know what what are the kind of details or what are the the questions we ought to be asking that drives us to the the requisite detail that we need to have uh operations that are well synchronized
0: yeah, I have a thought on that. Um, first off, I didn't throw you into the kid oh, category. Oh uh, no, kid, kid category. <laughs> you know. Uh, sorry if I uh, insulted you there, but no, not intended to do that. No,
1: I want to be in that group. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we all aspire to still be young.
0: <laughs> but going back, <laughs> going back to your question and me unpacking that, uh, I think it comes down to um, planning on the or focused on the right time horizon. One and focused on the right problems we want to solve at Echelon. And we use, we do that through a heavy coaching of what are, if we're talking about the brigade level, what are the brigade fights? What are those things that the brigade commander wants to give his staff focus on in terms of prioritization of time and resources and focus? And Um, that is probably one of the most fundamental things that we really drive home and coach the unit from brigade commander on down about, okay, what are your fights? It's a non-doctrinal term, but uh, I essentially, uh, we agreed upon a term at LTP, so we're all speaking the same language, and it comes down to those things that the brigade commander wants to focus time, resource, and focus on to, to synchronize overwhelming combat power. We took a snapshot of a, a HOPE timeline. It shows a timeline, and, the, and I don't talk particulars on it other than I drew a green box around two areas on the timeline where there was a heavy density of time hacks. And the brigade staff, in this vignette, the brigade staff immediately gravitated to those two points. But they quickly realized, hey, we're going down a rabbit hole here. This is not our fight or our problem to solve here. We're given this to, these are actions that the objective for a battalion and they're not a converging, it was not a converging attack, it was two separate battalion objectives. So the brigade staff recovered and then they realized that what are the conditions that need to be set for this? Um, maybe it was the brigade shaping effort and they drew a circle around that portion of the timeline and then they started defining the, the actions that needed to take place there. It was beautiful. I couldn't have scripted it any better, and I use it now continuously to show, uh, you know, wrong focus versus right focus. What are the problems we're trying to solve to create favorable conditions for the battalions? So um, that is my answer to, you know,
1: what I said about you know, focusing on the right things. The um, the gravitation, there is, a I think, a tendency in... Um you know, I I, mean, I found myself in in this spot as a battalion commander, as a brigade commander. Um, there is a tendency that you know I, I worked for uh, you know, General Norrie when he was a cog at the National Training Center when I worked for him. And he called it comfort food. You know, we we all revert back to our comfort food, and yeah. and the maneuver fight, you know, at the brigade level is what often we're most familiar with and and what we gravitate towards, but you know, generally a battalion commander and the two field grades down there, they're going to figure out the maneuver of where platoons have to go. Exactly. Um, and, you know, the the shaping that the brigade does to enable that or converging units uh, or massing of units or effects together, you know, that that I'm, I'm with you. I kind of see that as the where the brigade fight's got to be. Uh, the, you know, condition setting is an interesting one because uh, although I don't hear it as much as I used to, you know, this idea of, uh, you know, folks, uh, we're a conditions-based organization. And one of the things I've seen with detail planning is that often we don't define those conditions in a way that, that we can uh, really know whether or not we've achieved them. And then uh, I have a pet rock that I think time is a condition, too. Um, that, you know, we time waits for no man and, um, you know, crossing the line of departure on time is going to be pretty important to our division and, and it's going to be important at echelon. Um, but what are your thoughts on on the detailed planning when it comes to conditions and condition setting? Do you have any advice for the captains and majors, uh, battalion commanders, brigade commanders out there that, that are kind of wrestling with that?
0: Yeah, well, um, I do. And I think you articulated it very well. I'm watching brigades coming through and they go through a painstaking process of figuring out, okay, what does it mean for the brigade to shape? What you know, and this is one of these enduring brigade fights, the brigade shaping effort, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and it starts with the the targeting process. and um, what they identify in the targeting process, has to be taken off the battlefield. This unit that is going through right now, one of the best examples of being able to articulate this is the divisions fight between this phase line and this phase line and this is the contract the division commander has laid out for me. I will take those SA uh, 22s off the battlefield. There's three of them. I'm taking them off the battlefield for you. Then between this phase line and this phase line, these are the things brigade commander says these are the things that i'm concerned with that i will not air assault unless this occurs unless this this and this is eliminated and is not a, no longer a threat to me it's that whole thought process there about uh, you know you got to define it and it starts with well actually it starts with the reverse warfighting function analysis identifying what the enemy's HVTL is. From that, um, what are the critical vulnerabilities or what are the vulnerabilities by warfighting function, and then taking it forward into the targeting process now to identify what what is the high payoff target list? What do we want to take off to make our course of action successful? So just following that methodology is huge in terms of identifying what the conditions are required. Um, you're right. It, we were a long time always talking about setting conditions, but what does that really mean?
1: Over here, yeah, you see conditions, and then there's fires moving through here, and that will create an effect. Yeah, um, you know the the uh, the weatherman approach to this that doesn't get to the granular detail, and um, and if we can't define it, then we can't we can't measure it. if we can't measure it, we don't know whether or not we've actually been successful. And so it's a tendency of, you know, well, we shot obscuration. Okay. That's, that's interesting. But, but what, but if the effects of obscuration is preventing the enemy from observing us and putting an effective direct and indirect fire, then it's been effective. And we can, we can you know, initiate a breach. Uh, likewise with suppression. If the enemy can't return effective direct fire, we're being successful just shooting the suppression doesn't equal that effect. And I think, I think there's a tendency sometimes, and you see it when we rehearse, sometimes you see it in other events, that we did the thing, but we didn't get the effect. And you know, suppression's a great example. And we saw this in this rotation, it was awesome. We masked the whole battalion, we shot 450 rounds. It was beautiful. We just needed somebody to make some adjustments. We had some effects, but we could have been way more effective if the observers had made the the adjustments and we were given feedback of what the effects were, and so that that detail, I think is 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 part of, you know, as we talk about the detail and planning, I think that's a huge part. As we talk about the conditions, because that's what drives us towards it. And you laid out very eloquently the working backwards from the reverse warfighting uh, function analysis and the uh, intel preparation of the battle to, to targeting.
0: Uh, you mentioned comfort food earlier. Yes, sir. I, I think that's a great term. I I never heard of it articulated that way, but I like it and I'll probably use it. I footnoted
1: General Norrie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know him.
0: Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, to that point, uh, you, you mentioned about brigade commanders and senior leaders being very comfortable with their last experience, um, maneuverist movement maneuver, very comfortable in that. Um, kind of to that point, one of the things I learned... Eventually, Uh, I didn't, I I won't say I divined it uh, up front in command as a brigade commander, but it is, um, you know, the point about the infantry, armor, battalions, cavalry squadrons, they have a role in other things other than what they think their primary mission is. And what I'm getting at is I'm a firm believer that they have a role in the fires fight at the brigade level. Um, And I'll come back to that a little later on. Cavalry squadrons. I think sometimes we have to break the mental model about how we employ cavalry squadrons. I I heard you recently, I think it was yesterday, I heard you say, and I couldn't agree more, with there are situations where that mental model of sending the cavalry out first isn't going to work. You can do it once. (laughs) but you may not have a cavalry squadron or effective cavalry squadron putting them into complex terrain and expecting them to perform and i'm going now i'll go back to the infantry armor fight uh, getting them into the fight and doing other things like clearing ground for paas maybe securing assets critical brigade assets uh Cavalry squadron, not always the first one to cross the LDLC. We may have to push an infantry battalion forward to clear complex terrain so that we can push the cavalry through unopposed to another important reconnaissance or security mission. Being able to think like that, I think, is very important for brigade commanders. just you know, getting out of that comfort food, getting out of that comfort zone of I'm a movement and maneuver guy, and I'm focused on supporting
1: those two battalion or three battalions seizing that terrain. I spoke to a field artilleryman the other day that said uh, he really appreciated that the army, you know, when he was a captain that the army gave him an infantry battalion to maneuver him or, you know, maneuver him around and keep him safe so he could deliver yeah, fires. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We laugh, <laughs> but I think that is important to a certain degree, you know? Yes, sir. Um, no. And I, you know, the, I mean, the, the fires certainly, I mean, the other war, I mean, that's one of the, certainly one of the things I, I learned, um, you know, in an iterative way, uh between being a battalion commander w- as a task force senior and then as a brigade commander is you know the I call it now the broccoli, right? I heard uh, you say that yeah. <laughs> you know the uh you know being fascinated about command and control and in particular signal and where where uh what what are the networks that we're operating on, how we structured our our uh our signal architecture uh retrans, you know, I, I uh you know I think if you're a battalion or brigade commander uh, um you know best squad competitions are are cool uh best retrans competitions are amazing yeah um and you know the 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 retrans the ability to to retrans digital fires or the ability to retrans a brigade command that that we can all talk on is i think so critical to being able to actually synchronize a brigade or synchronize a battalion um mm-hmm. that you know, we should know all of, you know, if you're a battalion commander, you should know all of the, the NCOs that are in charge of your retrans teams uh, as well or better than you know, you know, who, who the weapon squad leaders are in the companies. Because um, what they do is critically important. And, um, yes. and that's not like as exciting, maybe. I mean, the retrans, the retrans uh, uh, training is a lot slower uh, than an infantry squad assault, uh, but arguably more important. Absolutely. Uh, if they can get set up and get in the right place and, and be secure. And I think likewise, uh, you know, as we talked yesterday, the um, understanding how we're doing uh, tactical sustainment um, and the effort, um, you know, I think at the company and battalion level of understanding uh, so well articulated an AR the other day from a BSB commander, the last tactical kilometer. Yeah. Um, how do we get water into the canteen and the last tactical kilometer? How do we get casualties from the point of injury to a CCP that's accessible by road or air? Uh, that last tactical kilometer, I think is pretty key. So the broccoli eating all the things that maybe aren't as exciting or what we're comfortable with, um, but are, I think infinitely important at the battalion and the brigade level to be successful uh, doing large scale combat. Yeah. Well said.
0: Um, like I said, um, uh, I really appreciate your discussions with the RTU in that, you know, you bear all. You said, I should have known some of this stuff at this point in my career. Well, I can say the same thing. Yes, sir. Um, And that's one thing I love about my job right now. I can't wear a uniform like you're wearing right now anymore, but I can help in the process. And that's why I love the Leaders Training Program and what we're doing right here. And, oh, by by extension, you know, I learn every rotation. I see these great units coming in and they're they try something new i haven't seen that before but i do like that or it causes me to stick my nose in the book a little more to understand what's going on and by extension then i'm improving my own skill set
1: it is um you know it's the the degree to which um you learn and doing this job is amazing I mean, I'm, I'm learning every single day, something new. Um, I mean, that's the beauty, I think, in a lot of ways of our profession, I'm assuming it's similar for surgeons, right? You can do, you can do, you know, a thousand surgeries in the thousand one, you're like, huh, I'd never thought about that that way. Or I'd seen, I've seen something different. And I certainly, you know, experienced that. And, and for the audience out there, um, you know, my experience as a battalion commander, didn't employ a single artillery round here as a battalion commander in 2016. And uh, it took my third or fourth maybe rotation at the National Training Center where I 100% realized it was my fault as a battalion commander. Um, and it, we'll, we'll get an episode where we talk about the technical fires rehearsal, uh, which will maybe you can learn from my mistakes. Um, but I, you know, I contend you could put me back in a 3rd Platoon Alpha Company, 1st of the 23rd, right now. And I would still learn something new as a platoon leader Absolutely. Uh, the whole time. <laughs> and um, and I think that that's, uh, you know, it really is a, it's a constantly learning um, environment if you're going to be successful at this, um, at least for me. I guess some people got it figured out, but uh, certainly trying to still figure a lot of this out. Um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about brigade fights. Um, you know, What do you see? What do you see the role of the brigade in large-scale combat operations? I mean, we're, we're we're transitioning to the vision as a unit of action, but uh, not complete yet. Um, but the brigade fight. Um, you know, what, what do you what do you see the BCT's role in large-scale combat operations?
0: Well, it's. <laughs> I'll start broad and then neck it down. Uh, broad statement is. Um, Prioritizing, resourcing, synchronizing, um, prioritizing and resourcing battalions to be successful in the close fight, I guess is the simplest way yeah. I can say it. Um, I look at, um, we look at and coach the brigade fights in two distinct categories. There's uh, discrete and then there's enduring brigade, brigade fights. The discrete brigade fights are easy to identify. It's a wet gap crossing, an air assault operation has a defined start and finish time, at least when you when the brigade does the analysis. This is the period of time I'm focusing on setting the conditions, and the conditions are one, two, three, four for this battalion to be successful. That's that's a discrete fight. Those are the easy ones to in a given operation to identify and plan against. It is how do you take those Enduring Brigade fights and some Brigade commanders look at uh, Shaping as one of their fights, but it's an enduring fight. It it is It is continuous throughout the extent of the operation Sustaining the Brigade may be one. I've seen Brigade commanders talk about that is my fight. I am looking at that. I am focused on that Um, Some say the the reconnaissance and security fight is also my fight so how how do you take those uh and and use those brigade fights to set the conditions for positive outcomes within the brigade um I would say there's two answers to that it's one is our integrating processes you know the the targeting process primarily there's log sync there's the 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 whole i c process it is ongoing those are the integrating processes also um We teach to, at points in time, uh, to create discrete situations to plan against. For example, if we're doing um, an air assault operation, you know, shaping fires. Yes, that's a that's an enduring brigade fight. But we're picking this period and this period right here to, to do those things with fires to set conditions for the air assault to be successful. Planning, you know, for example, I I have seen uh, brigade commanders use an uh, enduring brigade fight of Casavac greater than a battalion's capacity or capability to to uh, handle. So, where is that most likely to happen? And being able to take that and and build a period of time and a plan against that um, is is also a way. So, looping back, um, discrete enduring brigade fights, and then the, the biggest thing I see units wrestling with is how do you take that enduring brigade fight and turn it into something that we can effectively plan? The answer is our our integrating process has helped us with that, and also we can look at a, an enduring fight and say, okay, here's where I'm most concerned about using the CASVAC example. This is where I'm most um, concerned about that, and boxing that off and planning that as a discrete of that. Yes, sure. And I, I, I
1: like the way you frame that. And I, I think, you know, when you take that enduring and you say, okay, this is a discrete part of it, that's where we can get the level of detail. Yes. You know, o- often, um, you know, the framing the CASVAC one, for example, you know, casualty evacuation of one or two casualties, company and battalion are going to figure that out, no Thank problem. You. The 30 to 40, uh, unfortunately, it's going to cause them to vapor lock. And that discrete planning is going to create options and opportunities for them, but it only comes if you can do the detail that comes with it. And I think that's a really useful way to frame it because, of course, a, a company in battalion can do CASVAC. They can't do CASVAC when it's you know 40, 50, exceeds their exceeds capabilities or yeah. capacity to do it. Um, And there's some homework that's got to go into that to make that effective in terms of routes, number of vehicles, some time distance analysis, and and it only happens through uh, some detailed planning. Um, Really helpful, sir. Uh, What what advice, um, you know, the LTP program, you've seen a lot of units come through here over the years, you know, what advice would you give? um, And I'll, I'll do this a little bit, you know, reverse chalk order here. What advice would you give NCOs and captains that are coming to LTP for the first time to maximize this experience for themselves and for their unit to grow?
0: Yeah, that's. Let me take uh, unpack that separately. You yes, said sir. NCOs and young officers. Yes, sir. Let me jump in on the NCOs. Um, I, I mentioned this all every time, every day. One, Noe Salinas, Coach Salinas, and I really harp on this, and it's the integration of our non-commissioned officers into what we're doing at LTP. And and the bigger point is helping you or creating NCOs that are comfortable with helping in the planning um, process. Now, let me back up. The thing that I say, I had the opportunity to work at a COCOM level as plans and policy, strategic plans and policy guy, engaging 34 countries. Two questions they always ask. The first question was, how did you build the most lethal army in the world? And the second is, how did you build the finest NCO Corps in the world? I would, We would smile and politely answer the question, but that's indicative of how the world looks at our non-commissioned officers. Yet we know the dirty little secret, in my opinion, is we don't use our non-commissioned officers well enough, particularly when it relates to planning. And I'm and I'm not suggesting we turn our non commissioned officers into plan or some have a um a skill set there a pro- proclivity to be able to do that. There's one right now that I'm thinking of uh, the brigade Ops sergeant major who's fabulous over there. He is clearly he if I if I didn't see his rank, I thought he was a graduate of CGSC. I mean he is that skilled at uh, at um, MDMP. But what I'm really referring to is that that voice of reason integrated into what we're doing. Hey sir, that plan might work. That plan clearly is not going to work. Given the officers and the planners feedback and steering them and guiding them, I think is is invaluable. And I don't think we do that enough. Yeah the command sergeant majors get it. They they get it. But it's that that band of rank from E seven to to E seven and E eight that I think we just do not tap into well enough. Um, So now, going back to your original point, opening it up, um, I think, one, units should come here with a a full complement of non-commissioned officers. If nothing else, we're building a little muscle memory. We're building capacity uh, by bringing our non-commissioned officers here LTP, as you know, set up more of an academic experience, kind of a uh, think, Captain's Career course, CGFC, Sergeant's Major Academy, etc. Obviously, we don't have that many planners like you see in the Bay out there, but we're building capacity by doing it. And I think the non-commissioned officers should be part of that. Um, in terms of preparatory work, um, everybody's so busy it's our observation that the unit really only starts thinking about LTP, about when they fall off the bus or the airplane in Alexandria or here at Fort Polk. But I think a point that I would like to drive home is through their LTP experience, young officers and non-commissioned officers, I always encourage them or I challenge them, think about the times that you were caught short shrift on your your estimate. And, you know, the brigade commander catches it or the battalion commander catches that. Uh, Write those things down. Learn from them. Make yourself a checklist for your own personal estimate, running estimate, that you'll never miss that point again because the battalion commander caught you short on that one. Add that. You've learned a lot throughout this week. Build those running estimates out as a template, one that hey, here's what I learned, you know, because I I wrote these comments down. Um, And that would be my biggest advice. One is make sure you use the time here to validate your planning SOP and two, capture what you've learned uh, throughout the the seven days and make sure that you have a completed, full-up running estimate with the things that you either mentioned that worked or were good points, or that you missed and were called
1: on? So um, I appreciate it, sir. And I'll start, you know, the NCO, um, you know, as a battalion commander, I I put um, a series of very strong NCOs in the three shop, uh, and I really treated that place like the bullpen for future first sergeants. Because I think developmentally for senior non-commissioned officers, they have to be exposed to, to being a part of the staff and the staff work. And then, frankly, you end up, I think, with better officers that are getting mentored yeah, uh, exactly. by really good NCOs. Um, you know, and, I, you know, the other is that, um, you know, I think officers setting priorities of work, um, you know, in conjunction with NCOs. So then the NCOs can drive those priorities of work, whether that's a co-ops floor or whether that's in a plant shop, I think is is pretty powerful. Um, you know, and over time, I think you end up with far more efficient uh staffs when our NCOs are helping to drive the processes exactly um it's you know for for any star first classes out there or future ops star majors my personal opinion is a talk is just a patrol base so if you just treat it like a patrol base we'll be just fine um you know for 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 everybody i i think i would say i think there's two things i mean i think one i think you got to come with your SOPs mm-hmm. uh, to get the most out of LTP you have to come with, I think, SOPs that you actually plan to fight with and plan with. Um, I think if you think you're going to come to LTP and like develop your SOPs, you you won't because you won't practice them. I think if you t- bring come with SOPs that are pretty mature, you'll refine them while you're here based on you know experiences of what works and what doesn't. And then you know, I think the other for for everybody. I mean, I did it coming here as a brigade commander. Is like, what are the What are my cheat cards? What are the reference cards that I actually think I'll use doing MDMP or RDSP, um, in the fight because I wanted to practice with those Mm -hmm. uh, while I was here. And I think for, for planners, I think coming with the tools that you think you'll actually use and getting some practice using Mm -hmm. those tools here is a, is a useful way. And then, you know, the last one, we got everybody else out there watching, um, Come here and then get enjoy the experience. So do some PT with the uh, with your team here. Uh, take advantage of some of the facilities at Fort Polk um, to uh, to really build some cohesion. And I think that that's you know one of the other things that folks have because it's the pace of life in a BCT is it's busy. Um, this slows the game down a little bit to focus on the planning. But I think there's an opportunity in the process too to focus on the team while you're doing it. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't
0: agree more. That is one of the three points that uh, I make every, uh, I meet all the battalion command teams outside the auditorium right before the welcome brief, and, I, and I'll say three things to them. One, this is a zero threat environment. We're here, we're part of your team, not the not the reverse. We're here to help you. Lean on the coaches, and, and number three, build the team. This is an excellent place. I couldn't agree more. Um, Work with your coaches, figure out when it makes sense, and go out and build the team, do something that's fun that the team
1: enjoys um, so I couldn't agree with you more. I ran an ultimate frisbee combine here as a battalion commander It was a ton of fun um, What advice would you give uh, you know battalion brigade commanders uh, as they're coming here um, besides the those three awesome ones, but what you know what advice would you kind of Give to them to think about.
0: I think what you just said to about the junior NCOs and officers yeah. applies. Um, uh, one thing that I, after day on day one when they arrive, I you know ha- I ask them the question: How do you build muscle memory? So, you know, like lifting weights, <laughs> it's through repetitions and sets. But we don't seem to be able to get that ahead of time. So I encourage units to. Figure out unique ways to get um, reps and sets in in the garrison um, situation. We just don't do it. Why can't we take this event that we're planning here and, and do MDMP on that? You know, it's you know it's not the panacea, but I don't know of a way to get more you know more reps and sets in unless we start thinking that way at home station. But then coming here, uh, it it is those very things that you said, bring your SOPs. First off, make sure you have the SOP. Yeah. Number two, are we familiar with it? Number three will be handled here at LTP. And that is, is it functional? Does it answer the mail for it? Are we comfortable with it? And LTP, if if the answer is, well, it's okay, but we, we need to work on this. Uh, LTP is the place to do that. My coaches provide feedback on uh, every planning SOP that comes in here. Take it for what it's worth, guys and gals. Here's what we're seeing. Uh, take it or leave it. And um, and then through a series of best practices, we have a, a series of bat- best practices we capture. We call it the green book. We hand out to brigade commanders and battalion commanders uh, to help uh, stimulate ideas of what other units have done well to integrate into their planning. Uh,
1: planning sops sure. no i mean i think the the repetition really is the key i mean i you know m- with battalion brigade commanders i mean i think really um repetition at writing commander's intent and repetition at writing planning guidance and and mm-hmm. it's rigor to it of like uh grading it asking you know dcgos or chiefs of staff or even g3s or you know, battalion commanders provide feedback of, hey, is this coherent, is this helpful, and where it's not. Um, everybody thinks the staff knows what the brigade commander wants, but but often they don't. And it's not because they're bad people. It's just, um, you know, the biggest misconception about communication is that it's occurred. Um, and so I think some some repetition at that. And I think LTP gives a great opportunity to do that with some coaching from, from you and your team, sir.
0: Yeah, if I could comment on that, uh, commanders driving the process. Um, that is an underlying theme. Now, I think commanders, for the most part, are pretty good at that. But uh, the five things I emphasize on driving the process, uh, one is guidance, the issuance of guidance. The new doctrine, that just came out, uh, 5.0, it just came out in 2022, lists four types of uh, guidance, one, two, three, and four. Uh, one and two are the same. Uh, receipt of mission, initial guidance and then planning guidance after mission analysis, which drives coadev. One of the trends I see is commanders tend to conflate those two, and they start because all our minds work the same way. We're trying to solve the problem ahead of needing to solve the problem, and they're pulling course of action guidance into the initial uh, guidance, which is really focused on getting the staff, looking at the areas that the commander needs questions answered during mission analysis. But at any rate, the, the first thing is planning guidance. The second thing is uh, touch points. When and where is it necessary to have touch points? And we're talking touch points with staff and also getting that bottom-up refinement with commanders. This unit is going through here, and the last unit in particular that came through LTP did very well at doing this. Commanders, having good discussions that informed the planning process. But it wasn't in a vacuum. It wasn't the the green tabbers and the staff left behind. There was good integration, at least here at LTP, pulling the two together so we don't have disenfranchised either uh, green tabbers or staff. So touch points uh, is two, the issuance of commander's intent, particularly focused on the key tasks one of the trends that I see here that commanders do is simply regurgitate specified in tasks, specified tasks <laughs> given to them in the order. I would submit to you that a, key tasks focus on two or three things. It's a forcing function. It is decisive in nature. Uh, it helps you accomplish the mission. Uh, it is focused on the end state. And if measurable, even better. For example, we have to take the SA22 off the battlefield, or we will not air assault. We got to do that.
1: It's, I, it's funny. Uh, it's, I, I think it's condi- their conditions. The conditions that enable the end state, and the more measurable and discrete they are, um, I agree. the better. The better we are, you know, we're at. In the, yeah, not the regurgitation of like, hey, let me tell you some some of these specified tasks I thought were pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. And, and a TTP that we push a lot is attempt to assign a purpose or include a purpose with it because that allows the subordinate to understand context of why that key task is important and, and make informed decisions, uh, disciplined
1: initiatives, so to speak. 30 minutes of obscuration. Uh, to enable uh, the assault force to clear the breach. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's a condition that's got to be met to enable success. All right, sir, I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, what do you? Uh, what closing advice do you have for for folks out there, just on war fighting in general, or or on life? Uh, because you're apparently doing this pretty well. Um, you look lean and mean, uh, you look like you could still be in, in the fight. If we, if we shaved the beard, although beards are, beards are kind of coming into vogue.
0: I, I, I've been taking notice to that. (laughs) I've been taking notice to that, but, um, I would go back to, we talked a lot in this, however long we've been, uh, sitting here and talking, we've been talking about planning in enough detail. Um, and that's a, and that is our underlying focus. But I think I ought to close by at least commenting a little bit on complexity versus simplicity. You know, uh, uh,
1: it,
0: and you have mentioned this before. I've heard you say this before. Um, the simplest thing in, in combat, the simplest task, procedure, mission in combat is inherently um, difficult. We don't need to make things overly complex. <laughs> now, with, with that said, as it relates to planning, simplicity doesn't necessarily correlate to incomplete. That's not what I'm saying. It's understanding, and we talked at ad nauseum about uh, understanding what we need to plan. You know how to parse that brigade fights, for example, um, and that's where we dive down into detail but you just cannot plan everything from LD to LOA in exacting detail. Um, keep things simple, but simple does not mean incomplete.
1: So that, I, I, I touched on that, and I think that's important. Phenomenal advice. Sir, thanks for your time. I have a feeling we're going to bring you back in here and talk again. Really enjoyed it. And uh, appreciate what you do uh, for our brigades, our leaders out there, and for our army and our soldiers. Thanks, sir. You're quite welcome. Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC Experience.
2: The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's Leadership Laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Joe. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https e forward slash forward slash linktree slash jrtc We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at HTTPS colon forward slash, forward slash, www.army.mil forward slash, C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. And be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.